we're in an interesting time because God's brought us to witness the things that are befalling this nation and indeed the rest of the world. We couldn't have envisioned the decline of the United States and, and its financial strength and its, its sense of world uh, assurance. People hated the fact that we brought assurance to the world. They said we were the police of the world. But i got to tell you something. It's nice to have police around. You know, it depends on whether you're being beat up or robbed or someone's threatening to stab you or whether or not you'd like to have a policeman around. And that's the way the world was. And this country understood that with a sense of uh, strength from God, we had a wisdom about helping other people. It's just, it's just a matter of God doing those things in our lives that's, that is meant to fulfill what he ordained for us. When I uh, first started out in the jail ministry, one of the things that befell me was that I connected deeply with these people that were prisoners. And I, I saw in them the, the changing power of God. But I also saw the sense of friendship because God knit our hearts together. And I resented uh, some of the things that they, that they were put through by guards. I resented some of the things that, that uh, people in authority did to them that was wrong. I realized that uh, they should be treated differently than they were treated uh, some of the time. And so I know that the Spirit of God lays that on our hearts. When somebody is being mistreated, I don't care if they've done wrong in the past and God's done something in their life, you want to see that the things that are going on now are right. And uh, these guys were having Bible studies. And, and actually the war was against me because I just was uh, a kid that had come out of Vietnam and wanted to do something for the Lord. And God opened the door for the jail ministry for me. But it en enraged the people that were in authority there because I just came in and went out. And there was nothing that they could... Uh, get in touch with or nobody they could get in touch with that they could rein me in or stop me or complain about me. It was just me. And they could complain to me and I'd listen patiently. But it wasn't like it impacted my life. They weren't driving me away. And uh, what the Spirit of God did was begin to fill this jail. It had 76 prisoners, 72, something like that, in this jail. And it had walls that were concrete blocks and they had steel doors that looked like a submarine. And they rounded doors and they'd spin the, the thing and open up the doors and it was really quite a secure place. And uh, so you had a number of prisoners, maybe 12, 10, 12 prisoners in a block and they didn't talk to anybody else. And so they kept them all sequestered. That's, that's a genius plan. It wasn't like it was open bars and they could talk through to each other. And we began to have Bible studies with one of these guys and pretty soon he was bringing other prisoners and pretty soon everybody in that cell block was talking to me. Then they were having Bible studies and prayer meetings and praying. And the guards would find them praying all night. And so they didn't like that. There was something about this, this unity and the momentum that was being built up among these guys. that didn't know each other, but now they know each other. And they're feeling this camaraderie. And you guys, I've got to tell you, the world fear, fears that kind of camaraderie. So they uh, accused them of doing something contraband. And they came in in the, in the night. And they uh, made all these guys stand at attention in the middle of the night. And they had arrested a man, newly arrested, 
that was a, from a wealthy family. He got off of a bus in Commerce City, and he'd walk away from the bus station, and they'd had a, a report of a robbery, and the police rolled up, and here's this guy. Well, he claims he just got off the bus. But he'd thrown his ticket away because he was there. So he didn't see any reason to keep his ticket. And uh, they arrested him on charges that he'd done the burglary. And he's telling no, I'm telling you, I was on the bus. You could just, I mean, you could make a few phone calls and you'd know right away. Call my parents. But, but they put him in, in the jail. And this guard began to dress down the man that really would, had seen me first. And uh, he was talking such demeaning and hateful things that this prisoner, this newly arrived prisoner, who had never been in jail, trouble with the law, took exception to what he was saying and took upon himself to punch the uh, guard. And what they did, you guys, was they, they claimed it to be a riot, turned on the, the water sprinkles, got everything wet in their cell block, put them back in there, Took all their stuff, and their Bibles were wet. Everything was wet. They went through the through this cell block area and took everything away from these prisoners, claiming that they were uh, causing insurrection, rebellion. So, you guys, but the, the problem was that the spirit and presence of God was doing something in those guys' lives, and these, these guards had never seen men change like that and come into unity like that. And it was frightening because what are they what are they thinking? Because you guys, this it's not unusual for prisoners to get together, form a little. Uh, complaint group and then decide that they're going to have a riot and burn the prison down. Now, this is just a jail, but, but these guys feared that sense of where that would go. And, uh, but it enraged me because I felt like these guys were made to suffer because they were Christians. And uh, so, a man shouldn't have hit the guard. But the interesting thing is, you guys, they found out indeed he was on the bus and he was and he said he hit the guard. And that was perplexing to me because I thought, that's, and that's an interesting thing. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time because they wouldn't listen to his story. He was innocent of what they brought him to jail for. When they found out he was innocent, instead of letting him go, they charged him still with the crime of hitting this officer, which would indeed be a crime. But I saw it like, you know, actually you guys kind of... Funny how that voice was female, but it was what I was thinking. But you guys, what they did, and, and, and I was curious because they gave these guys blankets, pieces of, of wool blankets because everything was wet. It's wintertime, cold. And they took exception to that kind of treatment to all of these guys. And uh, what they did was scattered them. They took these guys out and put them in all the cell blocks. When I came back in, I had 40 people who to see me. And so I... I thought, there's something wrong with this. Can't, that can't be the list because they made me see him individually. And uh, then it grew from 40 to 60. So I, I was at the jail constantly because they would make me see these guys individually. And so every day I would have to work through this list till I finished it. Then I'd be all over again starting it with the same thing. But you guys, what I understood is that God used that circumstance to actually spread that gospel. And what, what they ended up with is not one Bible study group, but the whole place was filled with the Bible study group because that's the way the hunger of God does. But then what God understood was that I felt anti-authority. See how the flesh does what it does? It's like, well, you know what? Those guys are wrong that are in charge like that and, and inside of me this, this anger began to build against law enforcement. And you know my story because I moved to Nebraska and God put me in law enforcement. And then I had opportunities for people to do the most unsavory things to me because I was a policeman. 
And I got to arrive at places where you could see a need to stop the violence in somebody, to rein it down and to bring it under dominion, and it would escalate because you've arrived in your authority. Because lawlessness in the heart hates authority. It just despises authority. And that's what God is teaching me. You know what? The stuff that you saw in the jail, these guys gave their life to me. I began to diffuse the anger and the frustration inside of them so that authority could deal with them. Those guys went on about their business. They just told everybody else in the jail about me. You're the one that was the angriest. You're the one that wanted to do something about it. These guys all settled on the issues. Well, that was yesterday's news, and we're moving on. But when God put me in law enforcement and I saw the other side of this thing, because somebody would show up in court that had tried to kick my head off, and they'd be dressed up really nice, and they wouldn't be intoxicated, they wouldn't be enraged, you wouldn't see any of the animal in them. It's just like, wow. And they'd be so nice, and their attorney would be talking nice, and, and you'd look bad. It's like, well, this mean policeman just came, and I was minding my own business, and I began to realize, wow, that's this hatred of authority. And you guys, what God is showing to me and you is that what's happening around the world is a despising of authority. Things that create cosmos. The things that put fragmentation back together. And what does that is anger and frustration that comes out of the flesh. Unbridled flesh is a monster. The Bible said it was a beast. Men talk about all kinds of religious things about the beast rising in the last days, but you guys, the flesh is the beast. You turn the flesh loose, and the flesh can do the most unsavory things. You can't imagine the flesh doing it. I look back to Germany and having ordinary people in a society as cultured as ours. People who attended the opera, who enjoyed the arts, who one day was given a, a commission to destroy an entire race of people. And they became female guards in places where little children would beg them. And they would mistreat them and abuse them, starve them until they died and do nothing about it because they were vermin. So how do you take a whole culture and bring it to the brink of that kind of thinking? And that's what God is talking about. Is that you take this fabric, but you, you begin to see all you need to do is build up some kind of leadership that takes the beast down its road. Takes the flesh down its road. And so what God has shown us is that we're in an hour that we're trying to solve world problems by talk. Talk doesn't do it. We're using bombs. I can tell you bombs will never do it. We're not going to bomb enough people to make them quit bombing us back. We're not going to make enough anger and frustration to people that we, we bring anger and frustration to a close. It enrages people in the flesh is that. And what God did in this nation is He brought us under a dominion of the Holy Spirit and began to teach us to bow ourselves. So I want to read these few verses here in the beginning of Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin. Great description. Word of God coming to a prophet, a young man, a child, he called himself. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. So, he's been king for thirteen years. And he started being king when he was eight years old, am I right? So now, Jeremiah comes and he is sent by God 
And these two youngsters are now in a place where the stability has been broken away by the infighting and the turmoil of the flesh. Israel has decayed just 50 years before this. And you guys, 50 years ago is nothing. 50 years ago is nothing. Some of you are 25 years old. You're halfway to 50 already. Some of you are 35. You're beyond halfway. Some of you are 40. Some of you are 60 and remember 50 years ago. Tom, laughest thou so loud? You can tell the young guys. Am I right? Because that 60 thing is always the funniest. All right. Fifty years before this, God brings a prophet named Isaiah to a king named Hezekiah. And what God does in this land that he loves so dearly, he brings to Judah this, this prophet who is going to bring the Old Testament gospel. Because the book of Isaiah is about Jesus. It starts about Jesus threads its story through about Jesus, claims every dynamic that you would ever need to know about the Messiah. It's no accident that the Ethiopian bought the book of Isaiah that God sent Philip to join himself to his chariot in the wilderness. Because of all the scrolls that you could have bought, and he bought it at a great price, cost him a lot of money to buy that scroll. But I can tell you that he bought it at great price, but it was a value beyond anything man would know, because then it was the story of Christ. And when he's reading, and Philip joins himself to the Ethiopian's chariot, the Bible said he's reading, and he said, let me ask you a question, is this about him or someone else? And the Bible says straight away Philip began to preach Jesus. Jesus filled that glory. So here's where we're at. God understands that he's bringing prophetic utterances between these two prophets, and now we're at the end of the, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. This gospel of the kingdom is written out by Isaiah, am I right? Because the gospel of the kingdom is about that last great throne. It isn't about defeat. It's about the glory of God. It's about this transition from from what the flesh couldn't do to what God was going to do. It took the sight and the focus off the decay and the ruin and the destruction and brought it back to a God who said, I'm going to bring a Messiah upon this planet through a woman. And on his shoulders is going to set the government, my government. And he's not going to fail, and he's not going to fall down, and he's not going to go back, and he's going to have a seed that's going to follow him in righteousness. And so his sons are not going to go the wrong direction. Because that's what would happen in the kings in Israel. God would move on a man mightily, and then his son would come along. Because, of course, after Hezekiah came Manasseh. And you guys, that nation plunged into an incredible abyss of darkness in the astounding, rapid amount of time like this nation is at the brink of disaster. You wouldn't think this sense of normalcy would change so rapidly, but but indeed it did. And that's because God was doing a work that that brought forth this, this understanding. Now, 50 years later, so let's do some math. This is 2016. So you go back 50 years, we're talking about 19 what? 66, am I right? Is that 50 years ago? For those of you who do math in your head. Okay, so what's 99 and 54? And 17? 
and 20. <laughs> you guys were doing that. I love this stuff. So you guys, 1966, you, you, you look back at that time, if you're talking in the 60s and, and, and you're talking about the things that are going on, a lot of us uh, are acquainted with that time frame. And the precious thing is, you look back and you think, wow, actually God was doing some, some interesting things in this country, but it began to descend into chaos. We had a conflict that people decided wasn't, uh, wasn't a good conflict. And, and really, the basis of the stuff and the morality of the things, I don't even argue. But I will tell you this. There became a fight over nothing. And it turned into uh, rampages on the streets of this country. The students at KU joined in, burned a bunch of stuff, burned buildings. Chaos spread all over this country. And they weakened the presidency. The goal was to take down the sense of the, of the power of the presidency in the United States. It's never recovered. And you guys, what's happening now is that, that we have men who have, have decided they could do anything they want with the office. And because it was the office that was separated by the courts, supposedly the, the judiciary could write laws and limit the power of the executive branch. And the executive branch was to, to see to the enforcement of those things, but the judicial court was to make sure it was all done legal and, and according to our Constitution. And what we've learned is that men have padded the courts with their own ideologies. You're thinking, wow, this is political. That's because what was going on in the days of Ezekiel and the days of Isaiah and the days of Jeremiah was political things. And what God is showing to you and me is that, that we're watching at this very juncture this place that we need our eyes on that last great throne. There will never be another throne over Jerusalem. Never be another throne over Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is the last king. And what you and I understand is that all sense of, of safety and sovereignty comes through that throne. So the Bible tells us that the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, and of course he was the high priest under uh, Hezekiah. How many know that's right? Same man. So here we have this lineage, and this man has brought forth this son, and this son is now being called by God to do something. And he says this, in whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. So, so God's word came. Really? God's word. And it comes in the days of those three kings. There were actually five kings. Two of them were only three months long in their reign, and so he doesn't even mention them. They were incidental. But I can tell you that uh, God is changing things. Now listen. Under the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. So let's go back to three. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. Yes? Pretty small paragraph to have such a transition of time and such a descending from the glory that God had in the days of David and Solomon. Am I right? And what he's talking to you and I about is that this is the way the kingdoms of men work. And they work the same way down through the ages. Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, and, and you guys, this is, this is the rock on which you and I must stand. The word of God came back to this man. He stands different than anyone else in the, in the problems that are going on in this nation, in the descending of this nation. You can't think of a worse job than Jeremiah had. Because he's been sent with the word of God to a nation that is rushing headlong past him into the abyss. 
he's shouting every way he can for them to stop, turn around, and that there's victory if they would look that direction. And you guys, God's done that to this nation. And now what you and I are encountering is that in this post-Christian culture, we've made up our mind against the things that are godly, real godly stuff. Our schools have ran God out everywhere they can run God out. They bring teachings in that are so bizarre you can't, you can't believe that anyone would talk like that. We've, we've opened up this door for ungodliness. Anything that we can push in the face of God, this nation is now doing politically. And our courts are padded to agree with it. And so if there's something that's going on that the presidency wants, he can get his court to agree with him. You understand that? His court. It was never meant to be his court. There's supposed to be a guardianship over this nation. But that's how men can corrupt anything that's going on. And it's the thing that they did against the law of God. Now, you and I can't do that. Listen. Verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. God's choice on an individual life. And I can tell you that His choice works just like that on your personal life. Before you were born, God knew you. You tell yourself, well, I I don't think I've got this kind of... Well, here's what the Word of God does. If the Word of God comes to you, the Word of God has a portent. It will sanctify you. It will stop the slide of anything that's going on around you. You will understand what God's will and you will have a choice to comply. And I can't think of any better than that. I can't think of anything better. Listen. Then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak from a child. Josiah has become king at, at eight years old. That's a child. We have a prophet, and this prophet is a child. So we're standing here at this particular place, And we're recognizing that the thing that God has done is He's gone back to innocency. Not wisdom. Not maturity. Innocency. He's looked for somebody who's not corrupted. He's looking for someone who's been cleansed. He's looking for someone who can say, actually, I'm a child. Does He want this great office? Does He want to be brought to this place that, that He's being recognized as a prophet? No. He doesn't want that. In fact, he tells God, I, I'm not capable of doing this. He's actually minimizing himself in this circumstance. I'm being honest with you, God. I don't think I could do this. I, I, I'm not capable of getting this stuff done. And you guys, this is what the flesh doesn't ever say. You don't have to be very old to decide you can do stuff. You don't have to be very old to announce to other people you can do stuff. And you don't have to be very old to seek the admiration of other people for what you do. There are young men who've jumped off of really high places to impress someone else. Limped away. But you impress them. And that's worth it all, isn't it? Because you know the flesh likes to do that. And you guys, that's the thing that God's talking about. Is that here he's got someone who doesn't want to impress anybody. 
We, we, the church has got to come back to that place, you guys, that there's such an innocency and a sense of following God that really what we want is not to impress people, but to bring this everlasting gospel. Not, not the favorite thing, not what everybody would like to hear, but that which would come out of the throne of God, out of the place that says, look, turn around and go the other direction. It's about this, this truth that's in the Word of God that right now is not popular in this country. We, we've unleashed every moral thing we can. We're, and we're doing it more readily all the time. Our government's decided that, that drug dealers really aren't bad people. Until you see what it does in somebody's life. And I've seen what it does in people's lives. I've seen how it changes the sense of how you think. I, I was having Bible studies. I've told you this lots of times in Vietnam. And this kid that was a mechanic on the diesel engines that kept the, the electricity on in, in several places. He was a hunter for airborne. He came to our Bible studies. And uh, strung out on cocaine. You could buy it. You could buy a, a vial for $3 that was more than 90% pure. In the United States, he couldn't, it, instead of a $3 a day, he had $9 a day, have a three, he used three of those vials a day. In the United States, it cost him several hundred dollars for that same addiction. That's why we had so many people who were missing in action. There were a lot of people that, that I ran into GIs traveling through Saigon that were uh, partially in uniform, not uh, part of any army unit anymore because they were too strung out on drugs to go back to the United States. So, you guys, this, this is what I understand, is that the devil begins to drag you into a place you can't get up out of. And uh, he had come up for R&R &R and he wanted to go out of Vietnam, but he had to pass a urinary test, a UA. And he knew he could not. So he came to me and said, you know, brother, I'd, I'd like to have you help me get off of this if you would stay with me. For these days. And man, you guys, I, I was up praying all night long with this guy. I would pray. I wanted the spirit and presence of God to deliver him. And watching him go through what he went through, the violence of the sickness that he went through, I, I really wasn't aware of how deeply that affects you physically. I watched him wrestle through this thing. And you guys, it made me despise what it was. The longer I watched this human being retching and, and, and tormenting and wreathing in these, in these mental torments, it... it brought to me the understanding that this isn't, this isn't about uh, an easy thing to get out of. This isn't about something that you step away from. This is about an addiction that brings you into slavery. And you can't set yourself free from it. You need a miracle from God to do that. And after uh, more than a week of this struggle through this stuff, he finally was well enough to eat and, and uh, he left. Went to get something to eat, and somebody came running to me and said, Hey, uh, this guy's hunting you down. He's wanting to kill you. And uh, I said, It can't be. I, I said, He just left. He, he just, they said he, he got loaded again. And now he, he, wants, he knows you know that he's uh, an addict, and now he's afraid you'll turn him in. And so he, he was telling somebody that he was going to kill you. So, you guys, you see, we went from this, this shift of watching this this power that was controlling his mind and tormenting his mind to bringing him to the place that he could make decisions. And the first decision he made 
Let's go back to that destruction. Go back to the stuff that, that he, he was physically set free from, but, but mentally not. You guys, that's what the devil understands. Yeah, the devil wants to control the mind. And he does it through emotions. You don't have to be drug addicted. You can be emotionally addicted. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to bring people under the dominion of his power and the spirit and presence of God sets us free. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's looking at a whole nation and God's talking to this whole nation because he's telling me and you a story because you guys, they were headed that direction. So you think, well, what was this waste? Why would God waste this man's life telling a nation to stop when they weren't going to stop? And I'll tell you why. Because he loved us so much that he knew we could read this and from the understanding that we got from this word from God, you and I could make better choices. Because you guys, that's what it comes down to. From the Word of God. I don't have to make every mistake. You don't have to make every mistake. You don't have to learn everything by doing it yourself. Taking the Word of God and standing on the Word of God makes us make better choices. And you guys, there are some people that are taking the Word of God and making different choices about their life. And the first choice that you make is that God is first. This man is telling God, I can't do it. I can't. I'm a kid. God said, you're going to do it. Listen to what he says. But... The Lord said unto me, still talking to him, you guys, this is what I want in your life. I want God to talk to you. If you want to get through this kind of an hour where everything around you is is descending and the turmoil and the, and the destruction of a nation is coming that God has prophesied now for, uh, for more than two centuries, and now you're living at the very hour of where it's really coming, this man watching these things, has the voice of God. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I shall command thee, thou shalt speak. You guys, what we could use right now is that simplicity of children. We've had kids talk stuff around us that we've heard even in the news that they've said the most astounding and right things. And because they're just a child... It's okay for them to say it. But the, the bottom line is, we need adults that are willing to say it. You guys, we've got, we've got a, an election stuff going on, and we've got one person that wants to say everything. He's not afraid to say anything. But I've got to tell you, an awful lot of what he says is right. And it causes pain on people who don't want it said. But you guys... What we need is not political things that turn around. We need to have a nation that agrees with what he says is right, is right, and come back to the place that would change the dynamic of what's going on in this country. And it's not politically going to change. It's going to take the Spirit of God. We could not get a presidency that says we're going to get rid of guns. We're, we're trying to get rid of guns. We've got to get rid of murder. Guns are not going to do it. Because you're going to find some other way to murder somebody. So what we've got to get down to is here's where we're at on this stuff is that the spirit and presence of God has got to make a choice inside of us that brings peace. And, and as long as people don't have peace, they're going to buy guns. Am I right? right? I mean, you guys, you look around at the culture around us and we can see these things taking place right now. I've seen a lot of things that have gone on and so have you that you think, man, this is like the Wild West. And this is in this country. So what we need, you guys, is to get back to this place that says, here's what the job of the church is. It isn't to, to find some political solution. It's to come back to the one thing we have the most, and that is the light. 
and to bring to people conviction because we want to touch some lives. We're at harvest time. You and I are at a time where it isn't about turning this nation around. This nation is coming into judgment from God. Out of that, I believe God's going to bring a victory. But, but I can tell you, between now and where we get to that, that could be 70 years away, according to the things God did in the Bible. People say, well, Jesus is going to come faster than that. I can tell you that trouble is going to come, and the Spirit and presence of God is going to sustain His people. And that's what you and I want. I want this glorious gospel to be able to touch people around me, because there's a stability in Christ, and there's a safe place in Him, and outside of that, there's no safe place. Listen. So He tells this prophet... Be not afraid of their faces. You and I are going to walk in this kind of an hour where it doesn't matter what people say. Be not afraid of their faces. I'm with you to deliver you, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth. You guys, this is what God does. He has a cleansing power. And what you and I want is that, is that cleansing power of God. I want God to touch my mouth. I want God to touch my heart. But... He's what, what he's asking this kid to do is walk in obedience with him. He's asking him, you walk in obedience with me. I can't, I, I'm just a kid, oh, but I'm going to do this. And you guys, this, this kid understood what the priesthood was like because he was from Manitoba. Yes, where the priests all lived. His dad was a high priest that did the righteous things of God. And now all, all that stuff has been undermined every way it could be. Now he's in a place that he understands that God wants him to prophesy about these things and bring God's own word to the destruction of that nation. I put my words in your mouth. I've talked to you. God said this to me. God spoke. God spoke to me. I told God. He told me. This is a conversation that is back and forth between God and this kid. And God wants you and I to walk in that same kind of place of, com- of surrender to what the will of God has to say to us. Now listen, see, I have this day set thee over the nations. Where did God set this kid? He set him over the nations. We're coming into a place, you guys, that what we're going to see is that God has put His Word over all the nations. You know why? Because they're going to do exactly what God said they're going to do. They're going to rise up and do what He said they were going to do. They're going to descend and crumble like He said they were going to do. He's going to bring out of this a people who recognize that in the last days there's going to be great tribulation, like it never was. But there is a people who have this sanctuary in God, and that sanctuary is the Word of God. So what he's telling me and you is that there's a time to draw into that strength. What you and I can do is set aside the things that that disrupt the flow of God's Spirit in our life, and spend time with God. When you feel discouraged about something, you feel like there's a war going on, or you feel like there's temptation going on, you go back to prayer. You go spend time sequestered with God. You can't play with the things of the world and, and, and soak your mind in the things of the world and have the peace and presence of God carry you through. You need the voice of God to tell you what to do. But you need obedience in your heart that will do exactly what He tells you to do when He tells you to do it. I've had God tell me things to do had I not obeyed it, it would have cost me my life. I'm just telling you. I've had God tell me. I've had Him speak things to me. Just gently speak things to me. And if I had not obeyed, it would have cost me my life. That's what God does in your life. And He's done this uh, to me to show you that it works because most of the people in this church recognize that God's talked to me about stuff before it happened. So that you understood, wait a minute, now how would he know those things are going to come to pass? And that's because the Spirit of God is telling us that this is what's coming. 
then you see that the voice of God really does do that, and you know that you can walk in that safety. I've got God talk to me about momentary things. When I was coming back from Oklahoma, from a meeting in Tulsa, and, and it had been up way in the night. You've heard me tell this testimony lots of times. But you guys, God spoke to me. I sat in the back seat of a car, and the guy that was driving uh, had went home uh, the two nights previous. I stayed and cleaned up this uh, meeting where we were having the meetings. And, and David Terrell was there, and he, he used a horn to, to anoint people with oil. And so, he, in fact, as the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him, he filled this horn, big horn with oil, and he was just throwing it all over people, which is a great thing. Except that I was there when the janitorial service came in, <clears throat> and they felt like their floor had been anointed with oil, and they were very, very angry. And I could see the anger of these men. I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I said, I'll tell you what. I will, because they're talking about not having the meeting there the next night. This is a, a big hall in a, in a fancy hotel. I said, uh, tell you what, I'll clean the floor. I said, when I left here last night, somebody was running one of those machines, that, that puts the spinny, soapy water out and sucks it up and cleans it and dries it. Now, doesn't that seem like the way to clean a floor? I said, I could do that. So I'm expecting them to move all the chairs so I can clean the floor. They bring the machine out. The guy tells me where to put the soap, how to plug it in, and they just leave. And all these chairs are there, and I'm thinking, I said I'd clean the floor. I didn't say that I would move all the furniture and then clean the floor. But that's what they left me. So I'm there a long time. I finally crumble into bed. I'm up the next morning for a meeting. That night, the meeting goes late. I do the same thing because Brother Joe was anointing people again. Clean the floor up. So, now the next day after the meeting, we're driving back to Arkansas. And this guy's driving, and I am shot. I am on about four hours of sleep and two nights, and, and I'm 48 hours into this thing. And the Lord speaks to me and says, drive. Tell him you'll drive. And so I'm, I've got my eyes almost asleep, and I'm telling God, God, you know he went to bed about 10.30. I went to bed about 2.30, and I'm counting up the stuff. Have you ever done that? It's like, let me 10.30, and And that was just the first night. And the second night was, and, and God said, I want you to drive. So, and you've heard me tell this testimony. So I sat up, and I'm watching his eyes in the rearview mirror in the dark. Because I've already told God how well he's doing. And he does this. And we're going down the road 65 miles an hour. You'd be surprised how that refreshed me. And, and I'm tired, but isn't it funny? You're tired, but you believe that you would keep your brain on focus better than someone who's going to sleep in front of you? I said, Donald, are you, you want me to drive? He said, oh, brother, Rice, we are on mountain roads now in Arkansas, western Arkansas. And, and he tells me, yeah, oh, I'd love to have you drive. I said, well, you know, we're not far from this little town coming up. When we get there, I'll trade with you. He said, all right, it's cold night. I get out of my the, uh, the back seat of the car, and I'm slapping my face behind the garage because we were by a filling thing. I'm waking myself up. Somebody would have thought, to call the cops because there's a fight behind the, the uh, filling station. This guy's beating himself up. I don't know what the deal is. And I go back in that car and, man, I'm, I'm cruising down the road. And I come around this curve that is a seriously curvy road that drops off. Because it's full, and there's a warning sign comes up that's telling me about all the sneaky stuff. And God says, that's a warning. You slow the car down. I go from 65 down to about 35 miles an hour. That's true. 
That's how much I felt that God told me, you slow this car down. I came around the corner, and someone had rolled boulders as tall as the bottom of chairs. And they brought lumber, dead, dead tree limbs and stuff, and they laid it across this highway as a barricade. I have no idea why. Because someone coming down there, 65 miles an hour, you couldn't have gotten past the rocks. And if you would have tried to swerve it, you would have shot off into the air in the dark. And my friend was nearly asleep. By the time he would have had reflexes to do what he was going to do, I would have been in the back seat airborne. God knows how to get these things done. Man, I'll tell you what. And it felt um, like there was something so wrong about that all being sitting there. It wasn't like it was a, it was not a prank. You understood that somebody intended to kill somebody. I don't know if somebody's husband worked in town or wife worked in town and they were going to drive that road. I don't know what was going on. But I can tell you that there was something set up. We hadn't gone around that. Uh, two or three minutes, an Arkansas State Trooper was headed up the mountain with his lights on. So someone had, had encountered this thing before we did. But you guys, I've got to tell you something. The voice of God knows how to tell you, look, this guy is asleep. This guy's going to sleep at the wheel. And you can't trust him to get out of what's getting ready to come on. Because when I came around that corner and saw that warning sign, and God said, you slow this car down, I, I, I dropped it at least 30 miles an hour. And I can tell you that that's what God will do in your life. But this voice of God, this talking to Him, this God said to Him, that's what we're talking about here. It is about God getting you in and out of a place that His Spirit and presence has something to do with you. And it has to do with, with the safety of you or other people around you. We're coming into that kind of an hour. So if God tells you, I wouldn't go to the mall. If God tells you, I would not go to the mall. I wouldn't go to the mall. If God tells you that stuff, that's exactly... I was coming down the road in, in Honduras, and I saw a great big crowd running, and the Spirit of the Lord just said, turn. I just felt God tell me, turn the corner. I turned the corner, and a man that they had shot, there's uh, some men doing a, a daylight robbery, armed robbery, and one of the guys that they shot had come around the corner and was uh, actually paralleling me as I turned to the right and collapsed inside of a, a small place that they had for food. And Rachel and I and the kids, we were headed to, to do uh, just ordinary stuff. But when you get into a place where people with guns are shooting different directions, you don't get to go very far down that road and you suddenly find yourself in the middle of all the stuff that's going on. And when God can speak to you in a second and tell you, turn this thing, you turn this car now, and the Spirit of God can get you to do that, you know, that's the thing that keeps us better than anything else will do. That's what you want, this, this simplicity. And we're talking about a kid king and a kid prophet. Am I right? We're not talking about experience. We're not talking about people that have a life experience of doing these things right. We're talking about people that are being brought up to speed by the voice of God. Josiah the king is doing it right, and Jeremiah the prophet is doing it right. Absolutely right, according to the Word of God. And that's what you want in your life. And this is what God's got to bring back to the church. It isn't about just doing political things. It's not just about fixing it some way. We're not going to change the turmoil that's going on in the world. We're not going to change what's going on in the world. We're seeing this turmoil built up. You guys, this country has released enough money to help the nuclear program in Iran. And I believe with all my heart, I believe with all my heart that, that Japan helped Iran develop some of these things because they know all the stuff that we know about nuclear things. And you guys, when our government wants information passed on, we can pass it through a, a secondary or, or, or another nation. And the reason I believe that Japan was involved in this stuff was because of having that earthquake and that tsunami that brought an atomic blast to their country. Because I can tell you that God said, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. 
We have a God who keeps tab and keeps track and does exactly what he said he's going to do. And the world can pull all their shenanigans they want, but I've got to tell you, God's bringing Israel to a place that they need to see a living church. I'm just telling you. This whole thing is about Israel and the physical Jewish people coming to see Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in the church. And you guys, the church divided and filled with strife and unbelief and all the confusion of doctrines. How in the world would you bring them to God in that? And that's why God's telling me and you, I need a remnant. I don't need 10,000 people. I'll take 120 people out of an upper room and turn this world upside down. But I've got to have somebody that is in touch with my voice, that knows my commands and knows what it is that I've told them to do. And you guys, obedience is the bedrock that God is talking to me and you about. So, the things about the world, they're going to they're have to have second place to you. The things about your life, we're going to have to take second place. The things that have become the priorities in your life, they're going to have to take second place. What you're going to have to put in the priority of your life is to seek the will of God. Because he said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. God will add those things to your life. He knows how to bring those things into the fullness of your life. When I first went to Africa, you guys, the, the income I had was this church. I've been here since 1984. God told me, I want you to go to Africa. He opened up the door, and I left. I did exactly what God told me to do. And when I got there, God opened up miraculous things for me. And you guys, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that time for what God did. But I went from, from what I thought I knew into the unknown. I had nobody backing me. I had nobody who knew me. Mike Rimmick had sent tapes to, to, uh, to Nigeria. And how, I don't know how you even got in touch with the prayer and faith and track lead, but... But you guys, those guys wrote him a letter. Said, you know, we've been listening to these tapes. Would you have Brother Riceley, could he come over and preach? Mike gave me the letter. I was living upstairs. The Spirit of the Lord stirred my soul. And you guys, that's what God does. It wasn't because I, I wanted to just suddenly go to Africa. It was because God said, this is what I'm getting ready to do. And His power and presence knows how to get you into that place. And you guys, so, so I had a few people that I had contact with, and you've heard my story. They didn't even come to meet me in Nigeria. They said, we're not going to give you our address because you're going to have to have us protect you at the airport at Lagos. My airplane got delayed because I couldn't land in Paris. We had to, uh, because of the fog, we had to land. We circled Paris two hours, finally went back to London. So I didn't catch my flight to Nigeria that day, so the people were waiting at that airport that night. I I wasn't arriving. I didn't arrive. Now, they have no way to get in touch with me, and I have no way to get in touch with them, except I'm in London, on my way to Nigeria. Somewhere in a, in a country, there's a meeting that they promised would be set up for me to come and have a meeting. But I don't have any, I don't have any address, none whatever. I have no telephone numbers. So my plan looks a little bit untried. It looks a little bit like I had no plan. And I had no plan except to do the will of God. And when, when the airlines figured out what they were going to do, they were going to send me to Senegal. I was going to spend the night in Senegal. I was going to land in five more African nations before I finally got to Nigeria. And in the fracas, I got really sick. But you guys, here's the deal. When I got into Nigeria, the only thing I knew was the name of the town which is a city of about 70,000 people. So I was going to show up in a town of 70,000 people with a name, one name. 
But I knew if God was in the meeting, God was in the meeting, this God who had a voice would lead me to the right place. Am I right? Because he's a real God. If you don't have real God in your issue, your plan it better be ironclad. If you don't have God in the thing, if God cannot supernaturally lead you and guide you, you better have an ironclad plan. And you guys, men build ironclad plans. I got an email about some people going to adopt some babies, and, and I can't remember who even the people were, but they were going to adopt a couple of special needs babies from China. And you guys, they were looking for money and help. Sounds like Stephen Curtis Chapman to me. We'll go adopt these kids and bring them back to the United States. Here's the deal. You know what it costs to have a birth in this country? See, everybody gets quiet because none of us know. It costs about twelve, fifteen thousand dollars 15000 It costs you a ton of money to have a baby in this country. So you want a baby, even your own baby, you might as well figure on a $12,000 outlay at the beginning. And then you're going to have to buy formula or diapers at least, yeah? Now, I'm not against going over and getting these babies, but I'm telling you that what's happened to the church is we've decided the cost would be too much for me to bear it. You're going to go get a baby, go get a baby. You want someone else to pay for the baby, get them to pay for the baby. Get them to adopt the baby. Where in the world have we lost this sense of God telling me, you go get those babies. If God tells you to go get those babies, you go get them. And if they tell you, look, this is going to cost you your hunting dog, your new truck, and five other things, you just sell the stuff and go get the baby. Am I right? Because if it's worth it to you, if it's worth it to you to do it, then it's that kind of value. But these people want, they wanted everybody to help them so they could get it. So they're taking it. And that's what the missionaries do. If you're going to go on a mission, they write you letters tell you, look, we're going to go on a mission. We're going to do this. And I just need support from you. I need 11 people to support me with $1,100 a month. If I just had 10 people to do it, I'd have $10,100 a month. And, and I think I could get by on $10,100 a month. So we're taught to raise the money. Listen, here's the deal. When God told me to go to Nigeria, I had just enough money to get there. I had confidence. I bought a ticket to get back. Clever thought, yes, round-trip ticket to going to Africa. When I got into Abba, this is the truth, I just, I just got a taxi driver. And actually, I, I got a taxi driver 80 kilometers away in Port Harcourt. And I asked him, could you take me to Abba? I had no idea it was 80 kilometers away. He said, yes, of course I can. And we tear down the road to Abba. And when we get there, I told him, I'm looking for this preacher. And he was associated with a church that is either this name or this name, I don't remember which it was. And that taxi driver takes me into this major city through this crowded, pulsating population. I'm, I'm not kidding you. And he just keeps driving. And so he stops and asks one person. There are no street signs. There's no street names. There's no this year, find it the right street. There's none of that. And I'm telling myself, man, God, I, I'm just praying. God, you know I need to get to where this guy is. And so he, he comes to this church. And what the man did was if I was coming to Nigeria, he didn't want me to come to that church because then I would financially bless that church. So he tore up the nest and took me with him, got rid of the fellowship he had with that church, made everybody furious at him, and then he came to Lagos to pick me up because he was going to have a financial support from the United States, no doubt drive a new Land Rover before a couple of years were up. And when he got to Lagos, I wasn't there. Plans all didn't work exactly as he thought. Got that? 
so we go to this church and the people go, no, I don't, we don't know where he went. He did have fellowship with us, but he don't have fellowship with us anymore. He, he left. And the taxi driver turned around and looked at me. And we're on a dirt road. And some boys bring eight or ten longhorn cattle around the corner. I mean, longhorn cattle. And I'm, I'm standing in this place and I'm, I'm amazed just at the longhorn cattle. God knows how to get your attention on something else. Because <laughs> the taxi driver don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do next, but I'm, I'm astounded at the longhorns on those cattle. And I'm also thinking I shouldn't be standing there on the street where the longhorn cattle are coming. And I'm just praying, you know what, God? I've come all the way from the United States because you told me to come. And I, I want to touch those people that wanted to hear this message. I don't know how to get to them. And I can tell there's been fighting and strife and vainglory and all the same stuff that tears your church up all over the world. I get how that works. But you're above all of that. And a young woman came bouncing out past all those people as the taxi driver got in the car. And she said, I, I know someone that would know how to find him. How's that for a plan? I know somebody who would know how to find him. Man, she got in the car and off we went. We went several places. No, 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 we didn't find that guy. Finally, we found that guy. And you guys, since I was in Nigeria from the morning before, I looked into the eyes of a believer. A bona fide, genuine, born again Nigerian. Not to put anybody down, I'm just telling you, I could see God in this man. And I realized, well, because for the first time I felt a confidence because, man, all the, all the stuff I've been through to get to this moment, I've given up even preaching the gospel there. I knew we needed a miracle just to live to get to where I was going and get back out of the country. That's how I felt by that time. And I looked in the eyes of that guy and I realized somebody in this country is really still serving God. And then that kid told me, he, he said, I didn't have any money changed. He said, that's no problem, Brother Rice. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'm going to take you to the best hotel I know of and I'll leave you there and then I'm going to go try and find this brother I don't know where he's at exactly but he said I know some people and, but I'll bring him to you he took me over to the Crystal Park Hotel which was built by the British and, and it, it looked British looked western took me in there he told those people I'm checking this guy in and they said well you know you have to put a deposit he dug out the Naira put a deposit down on that stuff and then left so you guys, that's how God did what God did. And He knows how to do that. He knows how to bring you to the right conclusion because His voice is real and because He has a real thing to do. And you guys, even though that guy uh, was running people off, he was doing all kinds of stuff, the Spirit and presence of God did some magnificent things because God knows that sometimes you need a miracle to stop the nonsense. And a man was sent to kill me there. Because I was infringing on the power of the uh, shamans of the voodoo people. And the first night that I got there, guys, I want you to pray for people. And you guys, uh, we prayed for over 400 people. For hours, we prayed several hours, just laid hands on every single person that came up. And God would uh, tell me what to pray for. I prayed what he told me. And you guys, this, this shook 
the, the powers of the people who had dominion over these people because this was a religious war that now was going on because these people were set free from the things that these witch doctors had told them. I call them witch doctors. These are shamans, these, these people who did this stuff. And you guys, what they did then was sent a man to kill me. And I had no idea any of that was going on. But he was bound with the rings that they put on people when they're, when they're young and these rings swell into their skin. And so... As long as he's under that, he's under their dominion, under their uh, bondage. And when he got to the back of the platform, because it was dark, we were in this big schoolyard, and you guys, we had a couple of vapor lights that lit this crowd of people. And they had uh, a couple of uh, halogen lights shining down on the platform, and it would just blind you. You could hardly see anything out beyond where I was. And at the back of this platform, it's just the light that that filters down, and that's all that's there. And they would take me down those stairs and, and take me to a waiting car. And that's where he was waiting. And, and while I was preaching, the Spirit of the Lord was moving, and the rings fell off that man. All the rings fell from his hands. And, and he'd gotten down because he felt bound to that stuff, and he was trying to pick him up. And then, in the middle of picking him up, he realized that he'd been set free. And when the pastor came down the steps, this man is down there, and he recognized right away the way he was dressed that he would be uh, adversarial to that meeting. And uh, he saw this guy bent down crying. And he saw that he was that, at, at this area where he was with those rings. And you guys, God began to touch those pastors who were all fighting for supremacy. They were all doing this battle about, well, I own this guy. Well, he's going to help our church. Or his money's going to come our way. And here they come down the steps. This pastor comes back up and gathers a couple of pastors and down the steps they go. Because they're not sure how this stuff is really going. Because he's discovered this man. But you guys, they realize God has turned this man's life around. The next day at the, at the morning pastor's meeting, this guy was there. They, they took him out and gave him a suit that one of the pastors owned that fit him. And this guy comes in and he's dressed in a suit. And they said, can we say something? I said, sure. He said, this guy was at the back of the platform last night. And he's been sent to kill you. Comforting thought. Business as usual in a country that's ruled by superstition and falsehood and where, where there is no police, there is no law enforcement. Nobody's going to investigate a death. If you're dead, you're just dead. And God set that man free. But you guys, it did something in that meeting to those pastors. Because the word of God went out, but they'd all talked Bible stuff. But talking Bible stuff is not the same as the power of God stopping something that's going on and bringing a transformation to a person's life. And that's what I understand God does. Now these guys begin to round me up and take me out into villages where this stuff is rampant. And you guys, people are set free by the power of God because everywhere God goes, power goes. And that's what you and I want to be availing ourselves of. So it doesn't matter that the stuff is declining in this country. Our view is not on the declining of America. Our view is on this throne that's high and lifted up. Amen. Where this God is in control of these things in our life, and this kingdom is setting secure. The throne is secure. Your life in Him is secure. You're hidden away in Christ. So you guys, He can keep you safe. He can take you any place in the world and keep you safe. It's the kind of God that He is. And He knows how to do those things in your life and mine that transforms us from saying, God, I can't do that stuff, to the voice that says, I've, I've done something in your life. I've called you to do this, and I'm going to set you over the nations. God's power and presence doing those things in us that only He can do. God, we just praise You. 
for your love and mercy that's brought us your truth. God, you have kept me. God, you have sustained me. God, there are things even more where you have protected me. God, and you've protected these people as well. God, we are a blessed. We're a blessed people. You've watched over us and cared for us. And God, you've taken us in and out of circumstances in order to make yourself known. God, you've touched the church in Nigeria. God, you're sending Nompet there this uh, month. And God, I pray that your anointing will be upon this man. God, if there's a vision to be opened, God, to him in that place, God, open his vision. God, touch his wife. Lord, open up as you would open up those things. God, he's going back to a home that he is familiar with, to a city he's familiar with. God, he was old enough to know that city before he left Nigeria. God, I know the familiarity to him is uh, like going home. And I pray, God, that you'd watch over Nantep. God, that his decisions would be your decisions. God, that you would bring to pass in him exactly what you would. God, you care about those people in that country. And God, I know you do. And what I'm asking is that your spirit and presence would cover him with a safety. God, send him with a word that would reverberate all over that area. God, he is in the regions where uh, Islam has been uh, doing terrible uh, destructive things to Christians. God, I'm praying, keep him and his family safe. God, open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing, bring in the people that would be swept into Islam. God, win their souls, turn them around. God, bring uh, a deliverance to that area. God, you're that kind of a God. Jesus, your power is greater than any army could ever produce against the, the tyranny of destruction and terrorism that's in that area. God, we're asking you to move and to minister as only you can do it. God, I pray that your voice, your words, your clarity would enter into us and bring us to that place that you finish these things. God, I bind every doubtful thought that Satan would bring against any believer in this place. God, I'm in agreement that you said if two or three of us would agree in this place is touching any one thing, we'd have it. God, I bind the lifting up of the flesh. Anybody in here that's wrestling with ideas and thoughts or, or warfare and feelings, God, I'm praying that you would break that warfare down. God, you set every person in this place free. God, we've come here with a dominion from heaven. The King has purchased the souls of all the people that are here. And God, I'm praying that all of us would consider the price you paid to buy us. And from that standpoint, bring surrender to our own thoughts. God, anybody in here wrestling, God, that they would surrender this morning to the, to the witness of your presence. God, that they would decide to follow after you, Jesus, that nobody would leave this place. God, uh, deciding for the flesh, deciding for the things of their own. God, I'm asking it in your righteous name. God, you have given us a passageway and a right of way. I want it to be in the fullness of what you're doing. God, in your name I pray. And I believe that these things are, are bound because we've bound them on earth. And you said whatsoever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. God, I loose your Holy Spirit. God, I loose the presence of God to touch the lives of the people in this place. God, you have claimed for us, Lord, a people. And we are those people. God, we want to be exactly where you want us to be doing what you'd have us to do. God, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let's stand together.
I appreciate every person that's been praying. It's not just here at church. We're not just praying Friday nights, but praying that God will do these things that need to be done. We're watching uh, serious things happening around us. And you guys, uh, we know the Spirit of God is, is warning us. I feel that sense of that warning. Draw near to me, he says. And so you and I want that. I want to draw near to God because I want His Spirit and presence to get us into that perfect place doing the right thing in this particular hour. So, all right, Lord bless you. Go in peace.